Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. It is the Just Met More. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, I am glad that you had your coffee because holy <laughs> cow, we, you rather, picked a doozy of a game to do. Yeah, this is, uh, it just kept going. It did not stop. The game that never ends. For real. I, I honestly, like, this is, it's Zod, and I think people are, you know, like, when they first hear this, people are be like, oh, did you not see that? Like, how, that's your job is to watch these games. Like, man, I missed this entire game. We were in Tuscaloosa for a thing with Bud Light, and after a full day of passing out Bud Lights and drinking Bud Lights, I was very tired for the after the Iron Bowl. And we went to bed, I feel like, maybe halftime of this game. I don't know, because it, it was a late start, but I, I, I don't know how, there's no way I would have made it through the whole game. That night. It was very difficult to make it through the full game, even for those of us who were on our couch the entire day. Let me let me tell you that. 2018 LSU and Texas A&M, it was the seven-overtime game that literally changed college football rulebook yeah. stuff. I mean, we had the ruling a year, or the, the media days after this, finding out that uh, starting in the fifth overtime, we were just going to have the ball on the three instead of on the 25 <laughs> Right. And it was evident because these teams were gassed in this game, and you understand why. Tied for the longest yeah. game ever played in Division One history, four hours and 53 minutes. Most combined points in NCAA history, 146, 255 total plays in this game. It is a marathon, marathon yeah. rewatch. And even if you just watch the clipped version of this, and I think I said this the other day too, it's three hours and 51 minutes of the Stupid. clipped version without the commercials or anything like that. It is it is a, a long game. So we say that at the top um, sort of as a warning, a, a fewer discretion advised if you're going yep. to rewatch this because it is not for people with short attention spans. It'll take up say. your entire afternoon. That's but the game line. itself, the game itself was wild because um, it, it had a, a lot of interesting things kind of shake out with it, uh, both on the LSU side and on the A and M side. And for two teams that had been um, pitted in a very one-sided rivalry, I thought this was interesting. LSU had won seven straight games yep. since A and M had joined the SEC. Obviously, there are controversial endings galore. We have the infamous Gatorade bath on Coach O. I mean, there are just so many different things. And, oh, by the way, this was the last game that LSU has lost, which is a crazy thought. Crazy thought. Eh, not really. I mean, it's only been a year. I mean, I think it happens a decent amount in the SEC. I mean, But it's... watching watching this game, it feels so long ago. Oh, that's fair. And, and the way they lost it, too, is like one of those things like, wow, it took this to, to make them lose. Yes, we will. Uh, we will definitely get into all of those. You imagine how many more points they would have scored if Joe Brady was on this team. I mean, they would have had 145 probably by yeah, seven overtime. By the third quarter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, since that game, of course, LSU has won 16 straight, eight zero against top 10 teams since then. Pretty good. It's not every day that we talk about a 74 to 72 game, and there's another reason why we did this. And it was because, as you pointed out last weekend, it was the two-year anniversary of us doing the, oh, Joe Burrow is going to LSU podcast. Yeah. And that was fascinating to look back on. That really was. I was really proud that we, I mean, we nailed it. Um, 
we joked around a lot about some stuff that would happen, but it ended up happening. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. We like sarcastically um, threw it out there, the high yeah. stuff, and then ironically enough, I obviously I was not making a, a legitimate prediction that Joe Burrow was going to win the Heisman Trophy, but yeah, eh, looked all right. Also compared um, grad grad transfers to uh, mail order brides, and that was something that was I think we don't do enough of anymore. I'll just say it. I, I can't think of another instance in which we've done that, but no. Very I'll, good point. I'll take your word for it. Uh, this game was great, though. It, it was great from an entertainment standpoint. If you were one of those people that was just looking for something on and you're like, I don't want to watch Pac-12 after dark. I want to watch the last SEC game of the regular season. This game satisfied all of those needs for more football yeah. before we got a break you know, into, well, conference championship weekend and then bowl season. But so many instances in which this game should have ended, thought it was going to end, and it just crazy. never did. It, well, and also, this this one still is, uh, I would think, this this one still is um, Pac-12 After Dark, just with different jerseys. It really is. It, yeah. it definitely is. I can't remember how late it was on real time. You mentioned before, how because you, you had been doing stuff all day, um, you know, out with, with SDS at the Iron yeah. Bowl and stuff like that. So I remember, I think I had texted you late this day, or maybe it was me, you, and Will who were texting about this. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, I, I don't think Marler's been able to stay awake to watch this game because no. it's, it's so ridiculously late. And you would have I, been live tweeting about it, I'm sure. Without a doubt. I, I, I was, I remember going, getting up the next morning and we we're having to record in this, um, in this house that we were renting out with Rent Like a Champion. And I remember sitting like, I'm, and I'm in this weird room, and there's there's like, like like the the acoustics in the room were terrible. I just remember sitting like at the end of this bed, that. and I remember setting up on it, and I was like getting ready to like to go through everything, and and I'm like, Allie, Allie, and she's like, what? And I'm like, what the happened on this LSU A and M game last night? And she's like, I don't know. It says they went to like seven overtimes. Holy seven overtimes! And I was like, yeah, I have no idea. So it was crazy. This is a rare game in which I'm going to remember watching. Yeah, you didn't. So I did not. Tables tables have turned, but uh, a fun tables. game, a fun game to look back on, even for LSU fans, knowing kind of what happened since then, and and some of the potential. Um, I think some of the some of the fallout of that game is, yeah. is going to be worth digging into. Before we get to all of that, Marler, tell us about our good friends over at Bet Online. Guys, I have to say it every week. Uh, go over to betonline.ag today. Set up an account. It's the easiest, easiest way to set up an account. Get gambling. Get your cash outs ready. All those things. Uh, by far the easiest um, payouts and deposits I've ever seen on, uh, what do you call it? On gambling sites. So go to betonline.ag today. You can bet on Korean baseball. You can bet on Malaysian tennis. You can bet on, what else can you bet on, Connor? This weekend, I haven't looked at the matchups yet, but lucky for you, Bet Online sends out a daily little card of everything you could be betting on that day uh, on, on the site. So make sure you get over there today. Go to Bet Online. Have some fun. Spend some of that, uh, what do you call it, check? That, um, you know what I'm trying to say. This coffee hasn't kicked in. Yep, it will soon. Very, very soon. Um, the cast, directors specifically. I'm pretty sure that Coach O has run through Destin and he's in the middle of this Forrest Gump-like run. Yeah. Has he made his way to Atlanta yet? He has not made his way to Atlanta yet. He's not going to be on this episode because, you know what, just, I, I don't, it's, when, we, when people get a better attitude about it, then, then he'll come back. 
Stimulus but, uh, check. That was the word we were looking stimulus for. Stimulus check is what I was looking for. <laughs> I did see Mickey Sherby sent us sent me a, a like several memes this morning of him running, and it was the the what do you call it one with um what is it uh, the Forrest Gump one with people everyone trailing him and the the Beatles one the all Beatles time. Photoshop is is an all time meme like that's just incredible. Cocho on that day was not sweaty tan no looking like a tank he was sticky. Wet, very frustrated at many points of this game. But the good news for Coach O, as we remember, because this wasn't that long ago, he had taken himself firmly off the hot seat. Yes. The, the seat could not have been hotter on him entering that 2018 season. And instead of talking about whether or not he's going to survive this season, is Joe Oliva going to make a change, we're instead talking about him potentially getting the 10 wins. Right. Uh, possibly getting to LSU's first New Year's Six Bowl of the playoff era. And, you know, the good news for him is that this game felt like just a huge opportunity to be able to, to end the regular season on a positive note, even though they knew they weren't going to be going to an SEC championship. Yeah. But for Coach O, you could tell, and there was a reason that that Gatorade bath happened, it was because of what that 10th win could potentially mean. Yeah, agreed. It was, it was, and, and I think with, with the people forget how much of a a hot seat he was on coming into the season, which was crazy. We said it here on all offseason, like how he didn't deserve to be on the hot seat, and, and he could not have done a better job all year of proving why he should have been on the hot seat. And this game was kind of like, you know, just like the exclamation point of, yep, I, I doesn't deserve to be on it, shouldn't have been on it the whole time. Like, like let's make sure he's off of it for, for a good long while. And we know what happened now, uh, and obviously what happened in the bowl game after this, um, they kind of kind of ease some of those, uh, I guess, pressures that were on him. But this game, I, I just, you know, I, I kept thinking when with the A and M thing, I, I only I only kind of thought about it before I watched it from the LSU side because LSU I thought should have won this game by all means, and there's a lot of reasons why, and there's a lot of things that happened in the game where I was like, man, that should have gone their way, this should have gone their way, and I remember thinking afterwards like well, the biggest biggest takeaway I had before rewatching it with A and M was. Man, this this team got to nine wins, but they're really close to being a seven win team in Jimbo's first year, and and having some of some of those same talks we had about Coach O, kind of being what we hear about with with Jimbo and being on the hot seat as well. I want to get to some of the the Jimbo stuff later because I I do think that there there were you know even though A and M didn't go to a New Year's Six Bowl, I do think that there were things that we would talk be talking about him differently at least. Yeah. Um, but entered this season in a very, very different situation than Coach O. He is fresh off that that whopping $75 million guaranteed contract. And his best win to this point was the close loss against Clemson. I'm yep. only half kidding when I say that. He did beat uh, Kentucky, uh, had the overtime win against them, but was a, a fringe top 25 team all year. And, all year. Um, the way that they, they finished... The season was already, you know, kind of a lift. They were coming in off of this this win streak, and you know, AM is able to end with this this best year since the Manziel era. Um, Fisher though didn't feel it wasn't like this game was make or break, but uh, for in terms of like how they would talk about him going into the off season, but it did kind of feel like by the end of it, oh, he can spin this in a lot of different ways, and this is yeah. going to be big for the recruiting cycle and all that too. I. Every time I think about Jimbo with this game, though, I just think about his nephew. <laughs> that's I, the only thing that comes to mind. Biggest thing, like that's that's literally the biggest takeaway I have now. Rewatching it is what in the hell was he thinking about? 
let's go back to that. His nephew had the the legendary fight, uh, punch, whatever you want to call it, with Kevin Falk, the former LSU running back who still very much looked the part. And I remember just trying to figure out why in the world is this happening? The yeah. Advocate had this great, great picture that captured how passionate both of these guys were. I tweeted that photo out the other day. And I'm just like, why is this happening right now? I understand it's a hotly contested game. Sometimes when people are just tired and they're kind of running on fumes, they just, you know, have the short, they're, they're really, you know, short fuses and, and tempers right. can get flaring in a hurry. But so I went back to look to look at the, the whole backstory about how all of this happened. And I remember seeing the video of Jimbo's nephew telling him like what he had just done. And so kind of peeling it back here, Jimbo's nephew had an initial target of LSU analyst uh, Steve Cragthorpe, who yeah. is in his 50s and has Parkinson's, which lets yeah. you know about what exactly Jimbo's nephew is, is thinking about. Cole, by the way, is his name. Yeah, of course um, it is. Yeah. Very different than Cole. Jace. <laughs> um, so Jimbo's nephew had punched Steve Cragthorpe in the pacemaker, apparently. That's what he said in this post-game interview, which... If you're doing that at any point, that's weird. And apparently yes. all of this started because A&M's wide receivers coach, um, Damian Craig, he had started talking trash at the LSU sideline when the game ends. So right. Craig Thorpe steps in and basically does like the whole, like, get out of here, man. Like, you guys won. Shut up. Like, you're being ridiculous. And then Cole... Fisher, Jimbo's nephew, steps in and apparently punches Cragthorpe. All hell breaks loose. Unreal. How does that happen? Like I don't know. Uh, I mean, like he—he, he, I'll just—I'll just be honest. He looks like the kind of dude that would have punched somebody with a with a pacemaker. I remember you saying after the to- after this happened and we saw the photos, you're like, "Yeah, Jimbo's nephew. He kind of looks like you, Connor. He's like kind of built like you. What's he doing fighting?" Kevin Falk, and I'm thinking to myself... Dude, Kevin Falk's huge. Why would you Kevin fight Falk, Kevin Falk? I would not. I would yeah. not. But I would also never be in that position of confidence to think right. that that would ever be a good idea. And, I, you know, I want full video. And I've seen, like, snippets of the, of the end. Yeah. And I've seen the photo to kind of piece it together. But I want that full video and audio one day to surface where we truly find out what in the world Cole Fisher could have I, possibly said. It blows my mind. Blows my mind. The good news is also, uh, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm re, I, I've had this on in the background on, on silence the whole time um, of, of the 2018 game, just as like highlights are coming up, and the game has ended since we've been talking, and so I just clicked over to go see what they have now, and, and two is fumble from the 2019 LSU-Bama game is on, so that's cool. That's always fun. Glad you got to experience that. Thanks, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> the A-listers. Let's start with Devin White, the LSU linebacker, RIP Daisy May. That still breaks my heart. Yeah, it's um, tough. Sensitive subject. Devin White won the Butkus Award this year. He Every time I watch him, I just think that guy is the ideal middle linebacker. He is the type of guy you can build an entire defense around. Yeah. I mean, you see it throughout this game. He had a What did he run in the, the 40 years. again? Was it sub 4 3? It was a sub 4 4? I think it was in the 4 4s. Yeah. It was, was it was it was better than I thought he was going to be, and that that's saying something. He was I mean he was rolling. Yes, uh, the speed is is never in question when you're watching Devin White. Had the key fumble that he forced in this game as well, which yeah. for a while looked like it was going to be the game changing play because he makes that strip fumble on Travion Williams, 
and Michael Divinity scoops and scores, and that ties the game at 24-24. Just about as big of a defensive play as you can make yeah. in that spot. And they reviewed it, and they're like, surely his knee was down. Surely his knee was down. It's like, no, Devin White just came out there and just ripped that ball right. through, and it was the perfect play to make and kind of epitomized who Devin White was and how valuable he was for that LSU defense in his yeah. final two years. The, <laughs> I know people – we brought this up a while ago, and it was like, if you could change one play – from your team, what would it be? And it, like it, in the past decade or so like that. And like, of course, everyone was like kick six or the, the prayer Jordan hair or some other thing that Auburn got lucky in. Like it's my team, like whatever it was. And so, and there were several LSU fans that were like the Devin White targeting. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Cause that was a ridiculously bad call. A ridiculously bad call. Besides just that, and the, everybody remembers kind of the, the hoopla that that play created against Mississippi State, which then led to him getting suspended for the first half against Bama. And I'm still, I mean, I'm not convinced that Devin White is making a difference in that game. He's not. Oh, you're not, Connor? You're yet. not convinced on that? Because it was yeah. 29 to nothing, and they, they gave yeah. up like over 500 yards. So I would assume, yeah, you should not be convinced that yeah. that was going to be a difference maker. <laughs> They they harked back to that at the end of regulation yeah. when there was the, the play that became famous where Kellen Mond looks like he drops back, he fumbles the snap, and Devin White comes blitzing, just gets his arms up and forces what looks like uh, the game-sealing interception for LSU. And initially when they're reviewing that play, they're like, oh my gosh, are they reviewing Devin White for targeting again? And as it turns out, they're reviewing whether or not Kellen Mond's yeah. foot was down while the ball was down and, you know, thus making him down in the play. Uh, the play would have stopped there. But, yeah, Devin White was – he was that dude, and he was so, so good for LSU. There were so many times during the 2020 season where I just kind of found myself thinking, they could use a Devin White right about now. I, so and I would have had uh, Delpit in here too because Delpit was all over the field. I, yeah, and I, I didn't include all the first-team All-SEC guys. Greedy Williams yeah. was another guy who was very, very well-known, obviously, this year, uh, but didn't didn't necessarily choose Delpit for the A-listers. Obviously, he was he was a superstar, All-American type guy, but we've kind of talked about him a lot, and we've talked about just kind of like some of the struggles that he had in 2019, whether or not it was overblown. So I kind of wanted to look back a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. Um, which is a really bad segue into Joe Burrow, somebody who we yeah. have talked about immensely, of course, on this podcast as much as anyone in the last year. Um, it's funny to look back on this game in the aftermath and think that people were pointing to this game and saying, oh, Joe Burrow's numbers were inflated because of this game, and therefore he's not <laughs> as good as you're saying he is. Yeah. It's like, uh, no, you watch this game, and yeah, I mean, he got those opportunities, but he got those opportunities to score more touchdowns because he put LSU on his back in yeah. overtime and was just, like, trying to will him to victory. He had 29 rushing carries. 29? I mean, that's ridiculous. He had 100 yards rushing with three touchdowns on the ground. He had 25. He was 25-38 for 270 yards. I mean, you could argue he was, he, was better, he was better with his legs than he was his arm, and he was still really good with his arm. What's crazy to me is there wasn't a single 100-yard receiving or 100-yard receiver from LSU in this game. Not When's the close. last time we've heard that? Not even close. Justin Jefferson, I think, was the lead with 63 yeah, receiving yards, exactly. if I'm not mistaken. But um, I just, it's crazy to me that, like, in our boy Clyde, he, he threw a pass. Yes, yes. We'll have, we'll have more, more on Clyde for sure. But yep. it, was, it was very different watching Joe Burrow, who came into this game with just nine touchdown passes. And yeah. 
They, they, you can tell Stinchcomb becomes more and more impressed with Burrow as the game goes along because he's just out here kind of playing backyard football. And he's yeah. kind of just like having fun. And, and if he's calling his own number, he's like, you know, whatever. And, it, and a lot of this offense looks really improvised to a certain extent. But he would do, the, he would have these plays where like, you're just like, all right, now nah, he's probably not going to be able to get more than a yard or something. And then he'd right. find a way to get a first down. It's so weird looking back to see him under center. And yeah. with these like seven and eight man protections, it's the the formations are just out there. I mean, yeah. compared to what we saw in 2019 with LSU, it's amazing to think that this was only a year and a half ago. Well, and also I think, think yeah, I agree with that. But then also you look at like you look at some of the people that caught passes in this game, and it like okay, so the second leading receiver was Foster Moreau, great yes. tight end. Good in dude. the NFL, yep. In the NFL. Um, but Jamar Chase, and having th- only three catches for 31 yards in a seven-overtime game, and, and then Clyde only having three carries for three yards, you're like, what in the hell happened from last year to this year? So, anyway. Burrow is not nearly as accurate in this game um, compared to 2019, obviously, yeah. especially in the middle of the field. Um, but I still just think that he does some special things in this game. And this was really the game where I was like, okay, I'm I'm kind of buying into this more more than ever, and I found myself I found myself liking his play throughout the 2018 season, despite yeah. the fact that those numbers weren't there. But this was the game that I really watched, and I'm like, you know what? There are not a lot of quarterbacks in the country who would have had the gas to be able to do what no. he did down the stretch. And to me, that says a lot about kind of where this guy's at, how much confidence they have in him. And I right. just thought that going into 2019, he was going to definitely be able to make that next step. And obviously, with the right offense, surely those expectations were surpassed wildly. Yeah. Kellen Mond, his counterpart in this game, I still think this is probably the best game of Kellen Mond's career. But eh. the strange thing, the strange thing is, well, I mean, the Clemson game too. The Clemson game in 2018, yeah, he was. The Clemson good. game is the one he had under 50% completions in this game. True, true. But it just seemed like whenever he needed to make that big-time throw, especially late, he was always able to come up with it. And a guy who you've kind of wondered, does he have that that it factor throughout his career? I thought yeah. this game was a, a good sign of it. He wasn't making the same sort of plays with his legs that Joe right. Burrow was, even though we think of Kellen Mond as a more capable runner. But I, I just think that, that Mond in this game, he makes some throws that are, are just darn impressive. Now, whether yeah. or not... He deserves full credit for that because it's against the tired defense. I, I don't know, but seven of his 31 touchdowns in the 2018 season came in this game. Right. It's well, amazing to think about. That is amazing to think about. I think there's there's a lot of plays. I don't know why people hate on Kellen Mond so much. I've never understood that. I know why. Why? Because he's been around for a while, and yeah. we have had... I think we, we look at somebody who has been a, a three-year starter in, in this sport, and if they haven't had that... And this this is a big time win. Don't get me wrong, but they're like, all right. Well, when has he ever like gone into a, a road venue and really impressed right. and just been like, whoa? And made made opposing fans be like, that dude is good. And yeah. that's something that I think he's still looking for going into twenty twenty. That's fair. And I I think that people are kind of like, you know what? We've kind of been there, done that. We've seen it with Kellen Mond. If he's going to be this great quarterback, he would have made that step earlier. That's fair. I I still think that he's. I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for, um, not just because of this game, but just in general. I think like there are times where he does things that are absolutely just befuddling about how 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 dumb 
they they look uh and 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 mistake prone but there are also times where he does stuff you're like wow there's not a lot of people that can do that going into 2020 there's nobody in the sec can beat you in more ways than kellen monkand yep now i I think that he has his issues and he's he's frustrating sometimes with some of the decision that he makes but there are not many guys in this conference who can throw the ball 50 yards downfield on a dime and then also be like hey the defense is sitting back. I can take off and run for 25 like that. And Kellen Mond yeah. is very much capable of that. I was kind of wondered too. I remember being impressed with him in 2018 because in 2017, he looked very much like a true freshman. And you go into that offseason where Jimbo Fisher takes over and it's this battle with Nick Starkle. You're kind of wondering, like, how is Nick Starkle not going to win this job? When Nick Starkle was the dude putting up 500 yards in the Belk Bowl, I mean, take that for what it is, but I remember being really surprised early on that Kellamon was just, he was given the starting job, and I remember writing uh, before the start of the season, you know, um, just a, kind of a story on him where I reached out to one of his old coaches at IMG, I talked to Jim, I asked Jimbo about him, kind of asked him about comparing him to DeAndre Francois, his quarterback at Florida State, and Jimbo did not want to go there at all. He like kind of yeah. shot that down immediately. He was like, he is not DeAndre Francois. I don't really, I'm not like really big into comparisons, but it's like, all right, well, look at what they both do. They both came from IMG and both kind of have this like, this this ability to take over a game, but at the same time, they have moments where they can just torpedo and they just frustrate the hell out of you. Yeah. It's annoying probably as a fan because you're like, well, this is what we got. And I just kind of have gotten that feeling more and more with Kelman and the slow decision-making is, is still the most frustrating thing. And, oh, by the way, last year, he was at 6.9 yards per attempt. That frustrates nice. me. <laughs> I mean, not nice, not nice. No. Should have been better. They, had, they played the toughest schedule in the country. I don't care what South Carolina fans say. They played the toughest schedule in the country. They had to go on the road against against uh, Clemson. They had to play Bama at home. They had to go on the road against LSU. They, like, I, I get it, but there's not another there's not another quarterback in the SEC that has averaged 3,400 total yards and 30 touchdowns in two seasons. And I don't care about Kyle Trask and his one season, what he's done. I don't care what Mac Jones did sure. against against Auburn or any of those things. I don't care what people think Jamie Newman's going to do or now. JT Daniels is going to do it at Georgia. There's one player that has these stats consistently over two years in the first two years under Jimbo's offense that has done really, really well. Not really, really well, but he's statistically he's done better than any other player in the SEC, and for whatever reason, people want to on him all the time, and it makes no sense to me. I get they haven't won the big game, but I, I love I love when like I don't understand the fans in general that want to be like, well, he's won the big game. You tell me when your when your when your quarterback has won the big game because there's not a lot of people in the SEC. Kyle Trask is one of them. Kyle Trask hasn't won the big game. He he didn't beat Georgia. He didn't beat LSU. I mean, yeah. from from got to a lot of places and he he had several key wins. But did he ever win the big game? I wouldn't think I, I wouldn't think so. I think he obviously more so than maybe maybe uh, Kyle Trask, but like. It's it's weird how we have these these almost unrealistic, I guess like ex- not expectations, but like these like this bar we set for everyone. It's like if you don't reach this, you're not that good. It's the same thing they did with Tua and stuff like that. Like the, as soon as you have a knock on you, it becomes this like it's it's <laughs> in my opinion, it's like the social media bullying side of things. Where it's like, well, we just want to pile on for no reason, and like yeah. now that this is a thing, we're gonna say this is a thing. Like get out. Yeah. Of here. I- I think that's changed a lot in the last in the last decade. Where instead of having these guys who are multi-year starters who become degraded yeah. by the time they're seniors, it's almost it's gone the other way. We we become sick of them to a certain yeah. extent, and we're like, well, why haven't they done this, this, and this? When it's like, 
You know, if this were if this were 2004 or something, we'd be talking about, oh yeah, this guy's coming into his his fourth year as a starter, and you know, right. he's, he's in a good situation. So I, I think year it's three just, of Jimbo, the easy, a much easier schedule. You don't have to go play. You don't have to go play Clemson. You you have you're going to be a fourth year starter. I don't get it. Basically, a fourth year starter. I, I don't get it. Like you're 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 a thousand percent right. A thousand percent right. I don't know why they've that has like transitioned and switched with the minds of fans, but it's kind of obnoxious. I don't think people like the fact that too before the start of last year at SEC Media Days, he said he was the best quarterback in the SEC. I I agree with you, but I don't think enough people remember that. Like I think I think media people remember that, but I don't think that like fans remember him saying that because the amount of times that they 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 you know crap on him, nobody ever points to that as like it's because he said this. I haven't seen one person say that. True. Fair, fair. Uh, one of the guys who was a, a, a true breakout star in 2018, Jay Sternberger, the AM tight end. Very unique story. <laughs> Goes to Kansas for two years. He redshirts his first year. Second year, he has one catch. And then he goes to Northeastern Oklahoma AM, which apparently is a tight end powerhouse. Do you know who else Beautiful. went there? You know no. Jeremy Shockey, ironically. Did enough. he really? Yes, he went there very briefly before he went to Miami. People forget that. Uh, Sternberger was originally going to go to Florida State, but then followed Jimbo to AM. And uh, don't you know it? A year with our guy, Tim Brewster. And that's that's all she wrote. First team All American in 2018, 832 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns. He averaged 17 yards a catch. Man. Led the country for tight ends in that. I think he was second in the country in, in total yards receiving um, for tight ends. Like it was behind the kid from UCLA. I can't remember his name. I remember looking this up last year, and it just and, and what a name! I mean, Jay Sternberger. That just sounds like you come out of the womb drinking like Miller High Life. Jay Sternberger sounds like a country music star. Yeah, I wouldn't say star, but yeah, sounds sure. like a country music <laughs> artist. We'll, we'll say yeah. that. We'll say that. Imagine being a Kansas fan and watching the last two years, where you had Jay Sternberger once once on your team, and he becomes this yep. you know All American tight end. And oh, by the way. For a few days, you had that commitment from Jamar Chase. Those were the glory years for oh, Kansas. Man. People forget that. Um, eight days. Eight days. It was a very, very important time. I think it was like yeah. February of 2017 or You want to make sure like you that, get caught up in recruiting commitments early. <laughs> early and often, guys. Trust me. Because there's nothing that can change between now and signing day. Nothing. Travion Williams, who we've said before, we'll say it again, one of the most underrated seasons in the SEC of the 21st century. He broke A&M's single-season record for yards from scrimmage. 2,038 yards from scrimmage he had That's so stupid. (laughs) So good. It's so good. 1,760 yards rushing. He had 18 rushing touchdowns. He caught 27 passes out of the backfield. Here's the list of SEC backs with better single-season rushing totals. Yeah, this is the big one. Derrick Henry, Leonard Fournette, Herschel, Darren McFadden, Trey Mason, Bo Jackson. That's the entire list. It's the yeah. entire list. Well, he That's also amazing. he also had he had more at I think than than uh, McFadden had one of his seasons. Yes, I, I believe. And he was yes. a Heisman finalist two years in a row. But we talk about we we you guys know the links we've talked about Darren McFadden how he should have won the Heisman at least one of those years. I mean, tra- I mean like I, I don't tra- Travion Williams had more rushing yards than him. And no one talked about him. No one talked about him. You know, we just did that roundtable for underappreciated SEC players of the 21st century, and I probably Y'all should have did. given him. Yeah. I underrated him in a discussion about guys yeah. that were that are underrated. He's seventh all time among three year SEC running backs in rushing. That's backs. crazy. That's amazing to me. I mean, the 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 career that he had 
was he had an excellent he had really a, just a huge exclamation point this season playing in Jimbo Fisher's system where the entire offseason storyline was how excited he was to right. play the fullback and, and Connor Glaspia getting to play behind him and and you saw him really sort of take off he leaves early for the NFL after this year more on that subject later the breakout performers um, the A&M receivers in this game, and I, I swear some of them, it's like, <coughs> ooh, you're blessed. Uh, Courtney Davis, the A&M receiver who had 100, he had 101 receiving yards in this game, two touchdowns. He had that, he had the, the, the touchdown catch that forced overtime as well. Really, really good in this game. Yeah. You kind of confuse, sometimes I would confuse Courtney Davis and Kendrick Rogers, even though they don't look as much alike, but they kind of are similar in terms of how they produce, it seemed right. like, over the years at AM. Kendrick Rogers, who is extremely, extremely skinny, just the skinniest frame in the world, I always think of when I see that guy. Uh, he had three catches for 53 yards and two, t- and two touchdowns, but just all every catch that he made in this game felt absurd. And it, that, that was the case for both Davis and Rogers, where it just always kind of felt like if they were making plays, it was some like jaw-dropping Sports Center top 10 play. I mean, those guys are very, very talented. Was surprised to yeah. see that neither of them got drafted. Very that was kind of crazy. And they left early, too. It's, that was that was kind of surprising to me. Yes. Justin Jefferson, we talked about him a little bit before. We've obviously talked about him a ton in the past yeah. year. He's not necessarily a breakout star in this game, but a breakout star. He was a breakout star for this year. For this okay. year. Yeah. Um, so not, not a breakout performer for the game. Well, I mean, I think even in this game, he makes some plays on the outside that they're like, whoa, Justin Jefferson. Because you think of him as a slot receiver, and yeah. I thought the best play that he made in this game was on a fade. And a fade in the end zone where he goes up and he makes that play. LSU's leading receiver in this game. If you'd given 2019 LSU seven overtimes, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are probably, what, like 250 receiving yards apiece? Yeah. I mean, I think he had this. I think he had. I was surprised you put this on here because he had five catches for sixty-three yards, which he had seven other games last season with more yards. Yeah, and he, he this was not had, his breakout game. Yeah, I, I was so. I mean, I think he had a lot of. I mean, the game against Bama, I thought he had a huge game. The game against uh, the game against Ole Miss, I thought that was huge. He had two touchdowns and almost had hundred yards. He had ninety-nine mm-hmm. yards on on uh, five receptions. I, I I get it. I think he like he obviously led the way for. Receiving yards for LSU, um, I don't know. They're just. I thought there were bigger, bigger moments that he had. Like, I, I'm pretty sure though, for real, all jokes aside, he had that that exact, or he had more more yards at least. Maybe not receptions, but more yards on the first drive against Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl than he did this entire game. Gosh, that's a crazy thought. I know he had more very, in the very first, good. first quarter and more more touchdowns as well. Obviously, yes. The, the prominent extras, uh, speaking of LSU wide receivers, Jamar Chase is more of a prominent extra than he is a, a breakout star or anything like Crazy. that, which is wild to look back on. True freshman at the time. Uh, final line in this game, three catches for 31 yards. And you ask yourself, how is he not a bigger part of this offense? Because you actually see in this game, he had a really nice catch, a really, really yeah. nice catch. You're like, oh, yeah, that's that's Jamar Chase. That's exactly you know that guy. the receiver. Yeah, we, we've seen him a couple times before. He also had a really, really bad drop. In this game as well, yeah, didn't look as confident. Did not look as confident. No, well, and it's like um, one of the things about him now, I think, is that he is just oozing confidence every time you see him. Like he's oozing. Did you, yep. did you see? Did you see the uh, the thing that came out the other day? I forgot who put it out, but it was like going over the potential earning amount for 
um, what do you call it, for college football players, and they talked about yeah. what he could make per Instagram post. Was it's it over like six thousand dollars? <laughs> yeah. Wait, say it again. It's, it's over six thousand dollars per Instagram post. It's like sixty-two hundred dollars. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Hester Hester estimated that he'd probably make like twenty-five grand if he went and signed autographs for a day at a local. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he actually didn't really like. He didn't really have that kind of banner game until, ironically enough, the Fiesta Bowl against UCF, yeah. where um, I, I think he had something like 100 yards or something like that. That was his true like breakout game where he really got on the same page as Joe Burrow. But strange to watch so much so much offense in this game be played, and you're talking about Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson like did not combine for 100 no. receiving yards. It's wild. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, my guy. Three carries for three yards in this game. <laughs> That's he crazy. Is a prominent extra. Did um, he have? A, did he have a single catch in this game? Did not have a catch. That's I don't crazy. believe he had a catch, but he had a touchdown pass. So yeah. he he had that touchdown pass and the halfback toss in the fifth overtime of this game. It's amazing that he doesn't get targeted though. Like that they're yeah. not that they're not trying to get him involved in the passing game and. Nick Brosette really wasn't much better against Mike Elko's defense, which I have raved about, and I think the AM defensive coordinator does such a good job defending the run. But still, I mean, I, I know Kyle Edwards-Alaire is not the same guy in 2018 that he was in 2019, and people have said that, and the strength program really did him wonders and allowed him to get to that level, but he still probably could have been more involved in this game plan, yeah. even if he wasn't that same player. Go yeah, figure, too. That. Go figure that he's the, the first-round running back playing in this game. Yeah. You'd never guess it. Never, ever guess it. You would definitely think like a Travion Williams would, would be that guy. But I tell you what, with all the difference makers that they had going in from this season to the year they have with Joe Brady, I'm sure they will be just reloading, and all of these players are going to have the same type of year even though Joe Brady's gone. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm hearing. Well, I mean, Jamar Chase is the only guy that we just yeah. mentioned of, of those that are, that are back. So that's it's true. Um, the story arc. Favorite line from the broadcast that featured Taylor Zarzor and Matt Stinchcomb, who Stinchcomb <laughs> we've had on the podcast many yeah. times. Um, and I, that's right. People forget that. Um, I can never quite figure out Stinchcomb. I don't know if I've ever said that on this podcast. What do you mean? Like, he always just says something that kind of throws me off, and I'm like, oh, I wasn't thinking that, or I had no idea that you would say that. Yeah. Okay. He keeps you, he keeps you on balance as a broadcaster, yep. for sure. On balance. On <laughs> so my favorite line, uh, Burrow is nearly picked off in double coverage, and it hits AM um, uh, defensive back Deshaun Caper Smith in his hands. And Stinchcomb says, you've got to come down with that pick. Get on the jugs machine. That's how you end up at safety. So fun fact about that, because <laughs> I was like, oh, I wonder if that guy was a former receiver who got moved to safety because he couldn't catch. No, 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 no. He was the Gatorade Player of the Year in Louisiana, ironically enough, as a quarterback. So wow. that's how he got moved to safety, apparently. So ironically enough, that's exactly the same quote that I had. Because ah. <laughs> the jugs machine thing, I, I thought it was funny because it was like, you just <laughs> you don't ever hear a jugs machine reference nope. thrown out there a lot in a, in a lot of broadcasts. Um, I, I honestly, I had it took me a minute before going back and listening to this game that I forgot Stinchcomb because usually Stinchcomb was like on the the kind of the crappy SEC Network game. And I think he does a great job. And his in-depth stuff that he does from week to week where it's like going to a different coach 
or go to a different like facility and like sitting down watching game tape with a coach. Those are fascinating. Yeah, the film stuff is really good. It's awesome, um, and I think he's a good. I think he's a good announcer as well. I was just kind of surprised, and I was like, man, that's a that's a big get for for this game. And I was trying to think of the other games that were happening that day. I couldn't really remember any of them. Yeah, because our our guys were. I mean, you you were at one of them, the Iron Bowl. Yeah, but that was the biggest one. You so I mean, I think our I can't remember what what our, our Saturday night and the SEC guys were doing. Tom Hart, yeah. Jordan Rogers, Cole Kublick, why they weren't calling this game because they were still doing that in 2018. Right. And I couldn't quite figure that out. And I was meant to go Florida, down that Florida rabbit hole. No, that, so Florida, Florida State, that was, that was a game at Florida State. And I think that was an early ESPN game um, because it was like a 12 yes, o'clock game was over. The stadium was empty. Yeah. But, and, then, and then they had, I'm trying to think of what else. I know the noon game obviously was Ohio State, Michigan, but I don't really remember anything else from that day. Not because I was drinking. Just saying in general. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was South Carolina there. Clemson or anything like that that day. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that would have been. The coldest take from the broadcast. Oh, man. So they throw out this stat. Uh, I think it's in, the, yeah, it's in the fourth quarter. It's like, LSU has won 20 straight SEC games when hitting 20 <laughs> points. And the last such loss was all the way back in 2014. And they had said this right after Devin White had the forced fumble. Yeah. Michael Divinity returns it for a touchdown. And uh, little did they know that 72 LSU points would not be enough that day. Yeah. I so I knew one of us was gonna have this. That was good. Mine mine was when he makes the comment about the um, God dang it. What was it when he said he said, the thing about Devin White being tar- the targeting thing? Because oh I, I, yeah yeah. I kind of chuckled when that happened just because I just forgot how big of a deal that was. I forgot I forgot about the fact that they had all the the billboards they bought and and all that kind of stuff. That that was like a massive deal for people for for way too long. Was that so? That was that was your cold take or your favorite line? No, that was my cold take because they they brought up the, the gotcha, targeting okay. thing again, and it was like that's. I mean, come on. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So on that same play, um, the call that he that uh, Taylor Zarzer has after that is that's going to put it away because as you recall, <laughs> this this leads to the interception. He says that's going to put it away. LSU is going to ten wins. Okay. That is at the two hour and 18 minute mark of the YouTube video, which is three hours and 51 minutes. So that, I mean, goodness, little did they know. They had no idea what was to come. I mean, that is, that's that's rough. That's really rough to think the game's ending there. Um, And then, of course, the coldest take from the game itself, uh, Coach O's Gatorade bath. It it is... I mean, literally, <laughs> a cold take. That I'm sucks, sure it was. Man. Oh gosh, they're they're not on that. Pl- so that play happens, and there's so much going on on all of that. And as you right. you talk about, you know, the Devin White is he targeting or what are they reviewing? And you see on the replay, oh, they're actually reviewing to see if Kellen Mond's knee is down when he picked up that fumble. And so replay actually showed, in my opinion, and I didn't think this at the time, but watching it back, I was like, yeah. I think his knee actually was down, even though that's not necessarily in the integrity. That's not like the of spirit the of the rule. Yeah. Um, so then after that, we get fourth and fourth and eighteen from the AM forty-one, and Courtney Davis is not at the forty-one yard line. 
That's the other thing about this game. Yeah. Like, they didn't even say on the broadcast. That kind of bothered me. I was like, he definitely did not get to the 41. No. And they just gave him a first down. They didn't review it or anything At like all. that. On this 4th and 18 play, where if he doesn't get to this marker, the play, the game is over. And the that's it over. right there. It should have been, in my opinion. So that was the first one that I was like, really kind of like, okay, LSU is getting LSU is getting a, a raw deal Hosed. in this game. And, and credit A&M, though, for, for getting up to the line of scrimmage and being able to spike it right after. Kellen Mond did exactly what you're supposed to do in that spot. But the play, without a doubt, should have been given a longer yeah. review upstairs. Okay. So it's still... And I wanted to run through this to get us to... Uh, to get us through regulation here. Yeah. So it's still, at that point, A&M on LSU's 41-yard line. And there's 10 seconds left. LSU's up a touchdown. Right? Like, you're feeling good if you're an LSU fan at that point. Right. Kellen Mond gets the quick, quick pass to Kendrick Rogers for 23 yards. That gets him to the 18. Huge, huge play. In the grand scheme of this game, that kind of gets forgotten. Very, very important play because it means they don't have to attempt to Hail Mary. So then what happens? They have to spike it because he doesn't get out of bounds. And the clock is going to start up again after they move the chains. So they have to spike it when the clock starts at three seconds. Initially, the clock runs down to zero. And you're thinking to yourself, all right, game's over. They didn't get it off. They didn't get it off. LSU can celebrate. They show the crowd. LSU fans are celebrating. Clock says zero. We're good. Have a good night. Drive home safely. Yada, yeah. yada, yada. Then replay actually showed that Kellen Mond, because they reviewed that, they showed that he did actually get the spike off. So I won't say that LSU got robbed on that. On the surface, you look at that and you're like, oh my gosh. This is the third instance of just regulation in which this game should have ended. So, obviously, that sets up. And in my opinion, this is my Jadavion Clowney reminder that normal people don't play this game. It sets up the play at the end of regulation that Courtney Davis makes. The catch that he has on Greedy Williams which was just one of the many instances where I'm like, you know what? I'm not totally sold on Greedy Williams. And I, I, that might be unfair. That might be unfair. But you watch him make this play, and Courtney Davis is just physical and makes this all-or-nothing play to, to help force overtime. Heck of a throw yeah. on Ke- that, that Kellen Mond makes with the game on the line, all that stuff. I mean, just ridiculously impressive that AM is somehow able to survive despite the fact that it looked like it was over several different times in regulation. Several times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> Did you have another uh, Jadavion Clowney reminder no, that normal people don't play this game? It was, it was the Jay Sternberger, where I, I, and I, we'll talk about this later. I, I thought he fumbled this ball in second overtime, or maybe it was the first overtime. Um, he, he goes like on a, it's like a corner route, and he's like in, he's like in the slot, Goes in this corner out, and he gets absolutely just walloped by yeah. the safety. And I thought it was clearly a fumble. And agreed. And it was it was bang bang. And, and like, listen, I know A and M fans. Like we've we've been over this before, and A and M fans did not think that we gave their team due justice or or due diligence in terms of their. I don't know. Um, they thought they deserved more credit for winning this game than than we gave them. I don't necessarily disagree with that because it's, it takes a lot of guts to go out and win this game. But but come on. <laughs> come on. It's just like... I, anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, the the fumble is, is brutal. That was the... I, I had forgotten. So um, that play, when that happens, it's 
in it's in overtime. That's in the first yeah. overtime. And um, Cole Tracy had just drilled this 50-yard kick to really kind of save LSU after Joe Burrow took a bad sack there. And that the play that Sternberger makes, it's the very next play to start off. So it's a 20-yard pass, and it looks like he might have he might just end the game right there, and he might go right. into the end zone. And that hit, it's it's a horrible call. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible call in my opinion. It's the most egregious. It's the most egregious thing that if I'm an LSU fan, I'm looking back on that, going, "That's that's a joke. That shouldn't have happened." Because, yes, it was a bang bang play, but it felt like when you slow it down, it, it obviously helps LSU more. But even in real time, when you're watching this, you're like, "He made enough steps." He He's made, yeah. Setting the broadcast, <laughs> he made a full football move with the ball, and Greedy Williams looked like he had redeemed himself because he had picked up the fumble after Delpit and made the hit. And they call it an incomplete pass, of course. And head official Matt Austin, who's now doing work um, at SEC Network, actually, as their rules official, their in-studio rules official, yeah. he's goes over to Coach O. And Coach O's just livid. And oh, he's furious. Like, he's like, how is this not getting reviewed right now? He's like, I'm refusing to let you start this game again until this gets reviewed. And it didn't get that second look. They, they for whatever reason, determined that that play didn't res- didn't warrants five minutes to be able to look at it upstairs that, see and, and this is what blows my mind because it's like 78 hours long the game lasts forever forever, yeah. forever. For, like it was forever and then you're gonna tell me that 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 play doesn't deserve to take a second look you're gonna tell me the other play like like the fourth and 18 thing is mind-blowing to me that's just mind-blowing yeah. they were like yeah yeah first down like the the refs got so caught up in the moment they were like Oh, I mean, what? Do we forget? We forget to do something? Yeah, the other huge part of your job, like the other, like the, the other main part of how football works, they had to get 18 yards. Like, imagine if, imagine if at the prayer at Jordan Hare, like before fourth and 18, if he caught that pass. Actually, this is a bad example, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like, it's like it's like it's fourth and 18, and then it was like like or, or like or like if the kick six, if his foot was like on the back line when he caught the cut the pass and it was like blatantly obvious they're like no 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 did you see the run like yeah we all saw it happen but dude how did you not like like this was a very key part to the play and the overall game it, it's just i don't i remember lsu fans at the time saying like they just they could never catch a break with the refs and and the whole thing about bama and and devin white i thought that was so blown out of proportion it was ridiculous this game here it was it was it was literally mind blowing to watch and be like wait what like and and another and another one yes. DJ Khaled voice yes. every single time the reps came out. <laughs> and while all that's happening though, those AM receivers, I can't say enough about about how well they played and some of the catches that they made. I mean the Kendrick yeah. Rogers catch where he taps it to himself in triple overtime. That was crazy. I mean ridiculous where he's falling down you're like how did he there's no way that you should be able to make that catch where he kind of like used his helmet i I don't know it was that's probably my yeah it's like david tyree and i don't even know what the other one would be like it it was oh that that would probably be my jadavian Clowney one yeah yeah that's um that's that's definitely one of the plays of the game one of the plays of the year in my opinion in college football the uh, Trent Richardson, I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. This is tough just because we're talking 2018. But yeah. I wanted to, to kind of talk about this a little bit more. I was really surprised. I think we both were the next level evaluation of Travion Williams. Right. We, we threw out all the things that he did before. Where we're talking about one of the, the best single seasons in SEC history. And he leaves college early. Sixth round pick in the 2019 yeah. draft by the Bengals. Reuniting with uh, Joe Burrow, ironically enough. Yeah. And 
he doesn't run exactly like Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Clyde Edwards-Alaire finishes runs as well as anybody I saw in college football last year. But he's not physically that much different than him. But that no. was still kind of the big knock. And he's like a bowling ball. He he is. I mean, he's he's small. Obviously, he's he's five eight. You know, two hundred ten pounds. Whatever he is. But somebody who played in multiple systems, and including one that we would call pro style to the like to this day, who pass protects, who catches passes on the backfield. You know, I, I try to go back and find some of the evaluations on him going in, and our guy Matt Miller said, you know, the knock on him, the 5'8 frame, he kind of doesn't have that breakaway speed, though I saw him make many breakaway runs during yeah. that 2018 season. Um, Matt Miller still had him as a third-round guy, like a mid-round running back. And I understand running backs can sort of fall, but I just I was baffled watching him continue to slip in the draft. I understand that he struggled against Bama, Clemson, Mississippi State. Um, but yeah, we're Mississippi about... State had the best defense in the country. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't it's a weird, he yeah. everyone. Um, he ended his career averaging 207 rushing yards in his last four games. Average 207. I mean, That's pretty super. darn good. He was really good on this day. Um, I, and I still think that he'll, if he gets an opportunity somewhere, and I understand he's kind of buried on the, on the depth chart in Cincinnati and they have Joe Mixon yeah. and all that. But I just kind of think he's one of those guys that if he gets an opportunity, he's going to thrive. And all of a sudden, we're going to be talking about him in like fantasy football circles. Like, oh, Trey Van Williams, this guy who also catches passes and can kind of be that three down back for you. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of blows me away. Blows me away. Yeah. Mine, um, mine, Trevor I can't believe it, making the NFL is definitely Joe Burrow. And I think it's early, it's early in his career. <laughs> but you can look at it and you can just see there are traits there that's like you can tell he's not going to make it. And it's just, it's weird to me. <laughs> To even say that because he was such an above average college quarterback, but watching him go to the NFL, you just know that right. like you you can t- you, the writing's on the wall. Am I? I mean, like, am I yep. wrong when I say that? The writing seems like it's on the wall. I mean, he doesn't have a touchdown pass <laughs> in the NFL yet. Doesn't have a sick, not even in practice, Connor. Yeah, not even oh. in practice. I mean, like it's just so blatantly obvious to me. Um, no, mine would be. I mean, Sternberger hasn't had enough. Of a chance yet. He got he got hurt last year. In yeah, his one and only year with the Packers, third round pick. I think that Sternberger, like, I'd be kind of shocked if he doesn't turn out well because of, like, the, I mean, he just, he just, it was a guy that was, like, constantly filling up the stat sheet at A&M. Um, but it, it's hard not to say, it's hard not to say Trayvon Williams. Yeah. Or, or Greedy Williams is still very early in his career, and I know that you hate him personally, and it's, I don't know what your vision is against no. him. <laughs> but, but, like, the Greedy Williams thing is, is kind of surprising to me because it's like, man, that guy is... He has all the tools, like all the measurables. Yes. Like it's seemingly all Which the tools. Which is part of the problem, in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So. Um, and, and one more thing on Travion Williams. Okay. Look how badly A and M missed him last year. Yeah. I mean, in the yeah. five games, in the five games that A and M actually played against, like a really good defense, they averaged sixty-three rushing yards per game. I went back and I found the five games that they played against. The, the five best defenses that they faced in 2018 with Trey Van Williams. And it wasn't an every game thing. He had his struggles, but they still averaged 132 yards in those five games, yeah. more than double. So to me, like people that, that just say like he's a system back, I hope there are people that have watched the differences between AM and 2018 as opposed to 2019. I understand that they still had injuries on the offensive line. They didn't have Eric McCoy in 2019 as opposed to 2018, but still, man, that just that guy was that guy was good, and yeah. I, I think that there's there's a team that's going to be able to play him and make him work in the NFL. I agree with that. The thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching slash researching this, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the third string 
back in this I, game. Okay, so mine is kind of similar to that, but it's not the exact same. Mine was Leonard Fournette. Yeah, <laughs> got the first carry of this game. He was Leonard Fournette was the one that had the the uh, most yard, or he had like the third most yards rushing. We hit two rushes for forty-four yards. Yeah, he had like a one long rush that really yeah. was the kind of the, the entire source of uh, of his offense. Yeah, yeah, even Nick because Nick Brissett was the the lead back this Nick year, Brissett. but. I mean, they're they're throwing screen passes to to, to Leonard Fournette. And you're just like, what? dude, where's what? the guy? <laughs> like, yeah, this is Jimmy Clyde over Zelaire. My goodness, he should be running over dudes right now. Yeah, yeah I, I I I kind of thought he was second string back throughout the year, but I mean, you see his lack of involvement in this game, and you're just like, holy cow, this is yeah, this is amazing. Um, so I also forgot that they were talking on the broadcast about LSU still having playoff chances, which, all right. <laughs> I understand LSU had a good resume, but a two-loss team that doesn't win a conference championship—they they did be have the first team. It's hard. It's hard to put into perspective if you don't remember the season as well. Th- their resume was one of the best resumes we've we've seen. Well, they did have losses, but like it was still one of the best resumes we've seen uh, in recent memory. I guess. I mean, they, they trounced good. number two Georgia. They uh, yeah, it was really good. It was really really good. It was, it was good, but it wasn't going to be, like, a two-loss team that doesn't even play for a conference championship is not going to be the first two-loss team to make the playoff. Right. That's that's that. why I look back and I'm like, all right, that's yeah. that's kind of weird that they kept playing that up throughout the game. Um, so I also forgot that, uh, so with 2.30 left, this is interesting to look back on, mm-hmm. too, after seeing what we saw in 2019. With 2.30 left in regulation, LSU clinging to that 31-24 to lead, and A&M only has two timeouts left. LSU doesn't throw the ball. And Burrow called his own number twice. Doesn't get it. Remember 2019 Texas? Yeah. When they have that one touchdown lead. And you're like, it's third and, what was it, third and 17, third and 18, whatever it was. Third and 17, yeah. You're just like, all right, LSU's going to run the ball. They're going to have to get a defensive stop. And they're like, no, we're going to split out four guys out wide. We're going to trust Joe Burrow to step up in the pocket, find Justin Jefferson. Boom. Like, that right there. That's that's all you need to know about how different 2018 LSU and 2019 LSU were. I'd agree with that. Um, and then yeah, I already talked about the thing before. The I had forgotten about the sequence of the Jay Sternberger fumble, the big kick that Cole Tracy made uh, on the on LSU's possession before that. Okay, this is a tough question to answer because <laughs> we're talking about a seven overtime game. But when did a losing team blow it? Uh, the I, I would say the losing team was the officials, and I think it was when the fourth and eighteen play. <laughs> Final answer. The third overtime, um, and and really, so leading up to that third overtime, LSU is um, in second overtime down two, and um, the next three plays they have, um, they have the touchdown run with Nick Brissett. And a 25-yard touchdown pass and a two-point conversion. So LSU at that point in the, is up 49-41, and AM needs a touchdown and a two-point conversion to survive. Right. And Kellen Mond is, you know, rolls out and throws up a prayer to Kendrick Rogers, and that's the tap it to himself, uh, falling down in the end zone with Terrence Alexander draped all over him. So that to yeah, me was the really first instance where it's like, all right. 
Yeah, and it was pass interference too, so they would have had that benefit as well. But that was the first instance where you're like, LSU, you've got to be able to put it away in this instance. You have just hit him in the mouth. You came out, you converted immediately in overtime, and then you get the... Um, you know, you get the two-point conversion as well. That was when I thought they should have been able to, to put AM away, right. regardless of all the officiating gaffes that happened in this one. But if we're really talking about the, the actual moment set in the seventh overtime, which is what a great sentence that is, Burrow runs in another score for his 29th run of the day. But then on the two-point conversion, the ball is is tipped at the line of scrimmage. And LSU is not able to to get that like you know that big that big two point conversion that would have put all the pressure on AM. So the problem at that point, obviously, LSU's defense is, is just gassed, and so yeah. so is AM's at that point. But they got that tip, and that's all that that's all that they needed. Courtney Davis on third and fourteen catches the touchdown on a slant, and initially, when they go for the two point conversion, this is another instance which we yeah. can point back to the officiating on it's initially incomplete they throw this pass up i think it was a fade and it should have been the eighth overtime but instead there's a in my opinion what was a bad pass interference call on greedy williams and greedy williams was not happy he got an unsportsmanlike after for arguing with the official coach o sprints down the sideline that's <laughs> where we get the infamous coach o sprints yeah and he he guns it down the sideline he is just irate um, and, well, he actually runs down the sideline to call a timeout. He was a rate bef- irate before that, yeah. but he runs down down the sideline to call this timeout. And AM actually has a false start on this two point conversion attempt. But then after that, Kendrick Rogers on a broken play catches the two point conversion to win it, and seventy four to seventy two. Yeah, everybody needs a shower. Everyone needs a shower. I need one just watching the replay. Gosh, um, it's an incredible game. Brutal. I mean, it's one of those. It's one of those things that like, it's so hard to to think about all the different overtime periods and to yeah. try and separate them when you have that many. And I, I think what's so unique too about this game is the scoring was different every single overtime period. So three, seven, eight, three, six, eight, six, and they matched all every overtime period up until the last one. Like it wasn't just like they were scoring the exact, like scoring touchdowns every single time or, you know, they're settling for field goals. Wild. Just absolutely wild. All right. More interesting. What would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? Talked about this before. What would Jimbo Fisher's best win be right now? The Kentucky game, right? Yeah. That was probably the best team that he's beat. A home win against Kentucky. When you've been paid $75 million guaranteed, that's your best win in your first two years in which you've spent time in the top 15. It's not like you're doing some mass overhaul rebuild or anything like that. Um, He would be winless against the likes of LSU, Alabama, and Auburn. Um, We'd be talking about him differently and not necessarily on the hot seat because he still has $60 million guaranteed coming his way. That's a lot. That's a lot of cash. But... I just think that we'd be talking about him in a way where we're not, you know, I, I see people that rank coaches nationally and they're still talking about Jimbo Fisher as a top five coach nationally. In my opinion, I don't think you can make that claim. I don't, I just don't. After what we've seen from him in the last five years, yeah. I don't think you can, you can go there. And 
it's not that he's, you know, like he, this game is make or break for his recruiting or anything like that, but he gets the nine wins. It's just a little bit different. And they still maybe would have won that bowl game, so they could have still had an eight-win season. But this is like, this ended the streak against LSU. And, you know, it was against a top-10 team, a team that, that proved to be really good. And without it, it's like Jimbo's resume is very, very boring and mediocre. Yeah, that's what I was saying last year, and I got a lot of flack from A&M fans. But it was like, I tell you what, man, because what was going on, especially early on last year, was coming off a nine-win season in your in year one, that's that's incredible. I, I just, but when you look at like what everyone else is doing, I, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's is it that incredible? And you, you have like this this game really propelled them, I think, to who did they play in the bowl game? It was the Belk Bowl, right? They play NC State. Killed NC State. Just killed NC State. Demolished them. And and like the Gator you know, Bowl, not Belk Bowl. Gator Bowl. Okay, yeah. And and that's great. That's great. But when you look at what is, I don't know, like what the goals really are, and, and you and you kind of come out of the game. I get why there's so much hate on, on I guess what's the best way to put this? A and M is a program for not winning the big one necessarily because of what someone was doing for so long, mm-hmm. and and the way they would fall apart um, in November especially. But the stuff with Jimbo. It was kind of mind blowing to me because, like, man, you guys are really close. I mean, really close to being a seven and six team at best. And it flipped. I mean, you see the way that those fans celebrated and appreciated that win, and how how many frustrating Novembers they had had in a row, where yeah. they're so used to watching their team just kind of peter out in the last mm-hmm. month of the season, and instead, Jimbo Fisher, after winning the bowl game, gets to sell to his recruits. Look, we just this is year one. We just yeah. had the best season since Johnny Manziel was here. That's a good thing to be able to say yeah. if you're if you're a coach like Jimbo Fisher, and I'm not. I don't know, you know, how massive that was in the grand scheme of things. But when you're doing all you can to try and show, hey, look, you've got things turned in the right direction. This isn't the same old, same old. Right. Yeah, a game like this absolutely matters. And by the way, Texas still sucks. So if you're from the state <laughs> and you want to come play, you want to stay at home, come here. Uh, although Texas won a New Year's Six Bowl this year, so. A little bit. A little oh, bit yeah, that's right. They beat Georgia. Um, <laughs> on the LSU side, I don't think this loss necessarily set the tone for LSU's run, per se. Yep. And I don't think this was kind of what got everything started. But I do think that there's something to be said for Joe Burrow finding his inner alpha. You could point yeah. to this game. You could point to the hit that he took against UCF, the pick six with the dirty hit on that play, and how much better he's been. That you could probably say that that's maybe the more clear point. But I just thought watching him this in this game throughout the course of it, where he doesn't have to worry about the fact that LSU doesn't really have a healthy backup quarterback that they can turn to because Miles Brennan's finally back. It's the last game of the year. He's not going to have to worry about playing a game in another week. He can have some rest after this game, and he just kind of decides, you know what? What am I afraid of? Like, I, I can take hits. I'm not afraid to be able to, right. to run in the open field. And he took some shots in this game, some big, big-time hits. It's, yeah, yeah. I thought he had a lot of confidence in 2019 just as a guy that was willing to never, like, no. he would always say that all the time. Like, he's not, Joe Burrow doesn't slide. He's not afraid of getting no. hit by anybody. And we talk about, you know, why this offense worked so well in 2019. And, and the system was huge, of course. The talent that they had returning on the outside. Joe Burrow made made steps to improve his accuracy. But kind of at, at, the, at the foundation of all that. 
his confidence that he has to be able to be like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust that I can keep my eyes downfield. I'm not gonna have to worry about pressure all the time. Right. And I just thought like you see in this game him start to figure those things out of the offensive line being a little even just being a little bit better where i don't think it was night and day how much better they were in 2019 despite the fact that they won the joe moore award but i just thought that that element was really important and being able to extend plays trusting your offensive line is just going to give you enough time and guarding those receivers for that long of a time is just impossible and you could point to a game like this and say yeah maybe maybe overall in the story that is joe burrow this game even though they didn't win it and it had a frustrating end it had a, a big impact on what he did in 2019. It reminds me of the time in Home Alone when Macaulay Culkin, yes. who looks just like Joe Burrow, walks up and says, I'm not afraid anymore. Did you hear that? I'm not afraid anymore. And then opens up the front door and yells it. And then he sees that guy with the shovel and he's like, I'm going back inside. So that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> that's that's good too. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, in... In 2019, like you, you see, well, not in 2019, but uh, home lost New York. He welcomes the bad guys. He yeah. creates a trap for them to come, and that is what Joe Burrow did for everybody yeah. trying to hit him. And I honestly, I honestly think that, and I've said this a thousand times, especially the Bama game. If Tua doesn't fumble, fine. But also, if Joe Burrow doesn't have time to set up that little. Um, trap of broken ornaments in the backfield where all the defensive mm-hmm. linemen kept stepping on him. I don't think Alabama loses that game if he didn't set up all those booby traps. That's that's just me. I'm just saying. You got to be able to throw the paint buckets down the flight of stairs if you're going to get to where you want to go. That's what let's, we always say. Let's only do Home Alone metaphors <laughs> from now on when we talk about games. Like, whenever we decide to talk about games, it's only going to be Home Alone metaphors from now on. Everyone else, like, that, that's, that's, that's it. That's ball game. Harry, I've reached the top. Oh my God! My favorite, my favorite <laughs> line is when he goes, he goes, "Do you guys give up or whatever?" He's like, he's like, yeah, um, I forget, never. I yell something. Yeah, he goes, "No!" <laughs> <laughs> so good. I want to so go good. watch. I want to go reached, watch one too. Wow, what a hole! <laughs> okay, all right, we gotta get back to normal. All right. The player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this, it's when. Um, it's Coach O being sticky. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's not. That's, oh, I, I it's like not. that. For me, for me, it's the Kevin Falk thing because I just I never yeah. understood why that happened. Um, and then also, it is the moment where, um, what do you call it? Like, like Mon's knee is down, and it's that awkward. The way his knee goes down, it's like this very awkward bend or fold. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I'll never forget that, but it's the Kevin Falk thing of like that that dude's that dude's eyes when he's like, "Whoa, what have I gotten myself into?" Cole or whatever his name is. Anyway, bit off a little bit more than he could chew. Yeah, uh, I think we did when talking about this game. For real, this, I'm this hungry for too. Let's do a uh, a regulation game next time, maybe. Yeah, we'll <laughs> I'm in for that. All right, we will uh, we'll figure that out. Um, we have hit on three different A and M games at this point, and in a pretty pretty quick time frame all in the last like two months that we've done and yeah. um so maybe we'll we'll take a little bit of an a&m break um but we will be back at it with it just meant more next week we have still a full slate of podcasts hopefully everybody has been enjoying this um shout out to uh we had somebody that reach out uh reached out to us on facebook actually and and said that they were just watching the um the 2014 one the 2014 season one Oh. Really, really cool um, to be able to like, like understand that people are still listening to this. It was uh, Clayton Lavelle, Clayton Lavelle, who okay. reached out to us and said, he, 
great listening back to 2014. Um, he tells a great story about about Blake Sims and kind of hearing yeah. about you know, it, and and people forget you know the little things like that that can happen over the course of the season. He talks about how high he was on you know Ole Miss and Mississippi State, how fascinating it was to watch them develop. So. These podcasts are evergreen, and I'm hoping that people, you know, if you've got a road trip or something like that, you can't listen to this right away, that's perfectly fine. Don't delete them. Just save them because eventually we're going to be flying again, we're going to be traveling again, and you're going to want to have stuff like this. Um, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find where the other one was because somebody else had a really good one. We had uh, a, a five-star review that was... That was, it was just it, meant more related. I think I might no, be it wasn't. That. It wasn't a five star review. It was somebody that just wrote it on Facebook, and it was like one of the oh, nicest things ever. That's right. Yeah, I'm trying to find out where it was, but either way, we'll, we'll save it for next time. But it was like one of the nicest things anyone's ever written to us. Really, really appreciate that. Why can't I find it? And he kind of. Oh, it was Tanner Sars. Thank you very much, Tanner Sars. And he yes. he brought up his listening routine, and he said, um, you know, what he does is he waits a minute, like until like for like after the episode, I guess. Um, and then he will go and like do work, I guess, like out on his at his house or land or I don't know. You know, I don't know things about the country as much. Um, but yeah, it was a really nice review. It was a really nice review. We really appreciate that, man. Yes, thank you. And if you haven't, give us a five star review on iTunes. We'd love to be able to get those, read those off as well. All right, Coach O. And what do we need to remember? That was good. That was really good. Yeah, right? I've been working on it. I want to impress people on the internet. So, All right, good work, guys. Talk to you guys soon.